Welcome into the Think Deeper podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Jack Wilkie. Excited to get started on another week's episode. Before we do that, though, you might have noticed last week a uh, an extra, a bonus episode in your feed if you follow us on a, a podcast app um, called Think Fast. That's something new that we're doing if you're not familiar. Uh, we're doing them as YouTube videos, but we're also taking the audio and putting them in your feed as well. So be looking out for one of those per week. You'll probably get two this week and then... Uh, Lord willing, one per week after that. Uh, those will be things that are more rapid react kind of uh, issues and things that, that maybe we don't take time for on the podcast. In fact, we'll, we'll mention one of them at the end today that's coming later this week for you to keep an eye out on as well. But um, it's it's the next little bit of content we're doing. It's a little bit shorter clips than these hour, hour plus podcasts we've been doing as well. And so uh, keep an eye out for that. Uh, if, if you're enjoying those, let us know. As always... Uh, we hope you'll help us out if you're getting it again on a podcast app by leaving us a rating, uh, just five stars, uh, we hope, and a review as well. Uh, reviews certainly uh, go a long way and, and help us out. Um, and so please remember to do that if you're enjoying the show. Uh, we're so thankful for all of you who are, are sharing the, the clips, the quotes, uh, the links on, on Facebook, on Twitter, on social media, and getting the word out and uh, just... Uh, We'll, we'll keep going and hope you uh, enjoy the show and, and want to help pass it on and share it with your friends. All right, I'm going to turn it over to Will to get us started on this week's episode. So what we are wanting to get into today is, is the fourth and final episode of what we've kind of been hitting on now for uh, four weeks, going on a month. Uh, we started three weeks ago, uh, talking or four weeks ago now, talking about masculinity, moved to um, femininity, the, the two sides, male and female, what does God have in mind? What, what did God design? Looked last week at marriage. How do those roles play into marriage? And so we wanted to take this final episode uh, to kind of wrap it up and, and talk about the furthest departure from what God's design originally was for sexuality. And that is the LGBTQIA movement. So we've looked in, at previous weeks again at what did God design? How did he design it? What was the purpose of it? Obviously, our listeners are aware how much the world has perverted those things. And so we wanted to, to we wanted to devote today's episode to looking at, again, basically the biggest perversion, the, the furthest departure from God's original design for sexuality. And again, it's that LGBTQIA movement. I am old enough to remember. I'm sure a lot of our listeners are old enough to remember when it was just the LGBT movement. There was no Q, there was no I. Then you know, it seems like uh, letters continually uh, are getting added to the point that a lot of people don't even know what those letters mean. And so we wanted to dis- we want to discuss today. We want to look at those perversions. We want to look at what what should our response be biblically. What should we be teaching our young people? Because newsflash, as we're going to get into, they're learning all of this stuff in school. They're hearing all of this stuff or reading all of this stuff on social media from their friends. Uh, so the LGBTQIA movement. Obviously, the first few letters you're probably going to be familiar with uh, stands for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgenderism. The Q can either stand for questioning or queer. The I, and this is where a lot of people, again, are maybe more unfamiliar. The I stands for intersex and the A stands for asexual or ally. Some also go to the length of adding a P for pansexual and a 2S for two spirit, uh, which if you're not sure what that is. Uh, it's a term that traditionally originated from Native American culture, describes people who are male, female, or intersex, or have both a male and female spirit within them. Some crazy stuff here. You know, again, we're getting to the point where a lot of you probably haven't even heard of these numbers or uh, of these letters in this. And, you know, it's it's widely known. You get, you get on Facebook and, and there's 50 different genders to choose from when you're creating an account, uh, you know, to the point where, you know, you haven't even heard of some of these. And so I want to kick it to... Uh, the guys specifically, we'll start with Jack because this was this idea of gender has not been around very long. At least the term, the um, the way in which we've we've taken that term and and perverted it. So, Jack, get into for just a second uh, the history of that. Where, how far we've come here in the year 2022 when it comes to the overemphasis and again the perversion, the distortion of this idea of gender. It's been interesting to watch the the 
terminology change, right? Tolerance was really big 10, 15 years ago. We got to tolerate and love. Love is love and, and same love and um, you're, you can love who you love. And so it was very, you know, gay focused, gay marriage, uh, gay and lesbian. You mentioned, you know, remembering back when it was just LGBT. I remember before LGBT, it was just gay and lesbian. I mean, it was just homosexuality was the big thing that was being discussed. But notice, okay, tolerance, when like that word went out the window because the intolerance comes from that side now, uh, the idea of love has is even shrank back because it's not just about people trying to get married. It's not just about, you know, sexual orientation. It's about down to, I mean, the fibers of your being, the identity. Um, am I a man? Am I a woman? Am I non-binary? Which is I'm neither one. I switch from one to the other. All these these letters that you just brought in. And so... We think that's that's kind of the progression of all of it, and in a sense it is, but this goes back, uh, you know, Joe pulled up a lot of research for us on this um, that we're going to get into, and one of those was in the 1950s is when the term gender was coined. Uh, and you say, well, what, what did we have before then? Well, you look on your driver's license and it still says sex, male or female. That was just the term that we use of, you know, the male sex, the female sex. But then we came up with gender and it, it became a different thing. It, and for a while you would hear, well, you know, your sex is what you're born with, but you can choose your gender. Uh, and, and gender was was much more in the head, much more of a philosophical Fluid, concept. Yeah. What's that? Yeah, the idea of gender fluidity. Yeah, it can be fluid. fluid. It can yeah. it can change, and it really is is subjective to you. Your sex is is settled. You know, it's it's, and so that's how they say. We say, well, you were born a woman. You know, you were born a man. Look, your your chromosomes, your DNA. I mean, like everything about you is that. And they say, yeah, but it's not my gender. And so that change came about. And and you think about how saturated we get in that. We, I mean, everyone has accepted that. We use the term gender, right? We have gender reveal parties for babies. Um, it's just the terminology has sunk in where we don't even use the sex of the child anymore, right? We don't say, well, what sex is your baby? It's what gender is it? Um, the terminology changed, though, um, and, and I don't think it's all nefarious though, when we're saying those things. It's it's just how pervasive it's become, the change from one to the other. And so here we are today asking these questions of what am I? You know, who am I? And so you've got kids who... I mean, teenagers, one of the things you struggle with most is your identity. Who am I going to be? What am I, you know, like what, how do I stand out in life? How do I make something of myself? And now you're having to make them question whether their their physical parts are part of that as well. They're taking something that's concrete and they're making it. And I've said this a lot before, but they're making it uh, abstract, which is really dangerous specifically for kids because they need to have, they need to have something concrete when they're young, Right. You can't explain physics to them. They need to know two plus two equals four when they're at a younger age. They need to understand that the world turns around, but they don't need to understand gravity. Like they can't, they can't quantify those things. They can't understand the abstract, but that's really what we're doing with gender. And that war with words, they've kind of won this one because now these, these terms are really into our consciousness, the public consciousness, the zeitgeist, if you will. Um, And so this, this gender that we have accepted I don't know. I, I would prefer if we all went back to, even on this podcast, I'm going to try not to use, personally, I'm going to try not to use the word gender. I might because it's so pervasive and we're just used to saying it, but I really want to get us back to sexuality because it's God that created sexuality. It's, it's John Money, um, that the sexologists in the 50s that created, and a little bit before, but created this idea of gender. And I guess just to get into a little bit of that history, uh, I'll, I'll keep it brief, but this history is a lot longer, a lot further back than people realize, I think. John Money is very well known uh, for good and bad. Even if if you research him, it does not take very much to pull up the fact that he was a uh, pedophilia apologist. He, uh, it, The things that, that kind of surround this guy are sick, not good. Well, this is one of the fathers of this, uh, of, of really, again, of gender. He's the one that coined the term gender, but of sex studies. He was with the Kinsey Institute, uh, which is horrible uh, for those that have, have ever studied the Kinsey Institute. He came up with a word that I will not repeat on air, um, but a, a cuss word in the study of surrounding sex. Um, he had studies where he, you know, they had a boy that was born male. He was born intersex and, and um, they said, uh, well, make him a female, even though it seemed more male traits and 
by Dr. Money, uh, they said, okay, we'll do that. Well, he continued to show boy traits. They continued to treat him as a girl to try to do it. Well, he ended up struggling greatly in life, got into drug addiction and committed suicide uh, later, all based off this guy's research and based off what this guy said. Uh, if you research that, it's it's a horrible thing. John Money, this is where this is coming from. It's, he's the one that coined the term gender and once again was into pedophilia and had many studies with kids that would get him thrown in prison these days. Even further back than that, you have Virginia Charles Prince, uh, formerly Arnold Lohman, who coined the term transgenderism. I believe that's actually in 1969, um, but so, around the same time, and, and his life goes back a little further when he started dressing as a transvestite. That's what he felt more comfortable in, in his mom's clothes. He ended up winning a church Halloween party contest or um, Halloween contest for best dressed up. He dressed as a girl and a church wow. around him the winner. That's um, ironic. So, yeah, that's like, that's, that's good, but I won't get started on, on my thoughts on Halloween, but it's, that's also, he started a transvestia magazine um, and it really came back to, he was just more comfortable in women's clothing. And then he went to his psychologist, his psychiatrist, Carl Bowman, uh, who's a well-known name as well. And this guy pushed to legalize homosexuality back in 1961. He had a lot of, a lot of, I, what we might say, difficult um, studies that have come out and him pushing homosexuality was not not great even further back than that was this magnus hirschfeld guy uh he was the first doctor to openly research and advocate for for basically lgbtq rights uh, they didn't have that back then but he coined the term transvestite he was um, into trans sex or transsexuality and he started the institute for sexual science in berlin in 1919 which ultimately got burned down by the nazis they lost thousands of, of pages of research um, and books and such and so we don't have too much to go off of from for him, but um, this guy once calculated that there were over 43 million possible variants of human sexuality. We think, well, this is a pretty recent thing. This is the 80s. This is, you know, maybe back to the 70s, right? Um, no, this has been going on for a long time. You can look at Sigmund Freud and the, the sexual things he got into, but this Magnus Hirschfeld guy, um, he was also, he himself was gay, had two separate lovers in life, one of which committed suicide later. Um, he also dabbled in drag in Berlin. Um, so it was a drag queen. I mean, you read about these things. This is their legacy. This is, this is where they're, this is the, the genesis of this movement really, um, to try to get them rights not a positive thing and it goes way further back than again i think most people realize and that's the point here is that the origin the genesis like you just said joe of this terminology terminology of these movements uh, of these pushes these agendas they're not positive they're surrounded by all right. kinds of just immoral people immoral things immoral studies going on and yet as you said that's their legacy that that's what they had that, that was their foundation and so now here we are 60, 70 years later. And I want to ask the question, I guess, somewhat rhetorically, somewhat not rhetorically, where has the church been during all of this? You know, you, you take it all the way back to the sexual revolution of the 1960s, the, the, the gay manifesto, the, the agenda uh, to be gay back in the 80s, the, as we discussed two weeks ago, the aggressive feminist movement that really all throughout the 20th century, but really started uh, manifesting itself in the 1990s. You know, you've got the sexual agenda in schools today. Where has the church been? It's, you know, again, 60, 70 years of just further perversion after further perversion of God's design for sexuality uh, with homosexuality, with feminism, uh, with the sexual revolution, now with transgenderism. And yet when we've got a lot of young people, you know, in Christendom, so to speak, that are turning to this, this idea of gender fluidity, this idea of well, I don't know what I identify as. What am I? Who am I? As Jack stated earlier. And so we as the church, we as the body of Christ, we have to determine what is our answer? Where, where do we steer these kids? What are the answers that we give them? Because the church, again, when all this has been going on, really hasn't done anything more than, well, that's wrong. You know, well, we shouldn't be doing that. That's pretty much been the stance, right? Again, the sexual revolution in the 60s. What was the church's stance other than, well, that stuff's wrong? the gay manifesto in the 80s. Oh, well, that's wrong. Of course it's wrong. Why is it wrong? Let's actually start giving some answers. And again, I think we're seeing a lot of that today with the feminism, with the, the transgender agenda. We can point to it and we can say, that's bad. You shouldn't do that. But that's all our kids are getting from us. Then they go to their, then they go to school. They're seeing Pixar films. They're on social media where they're hearing the exact opposite, that this is great. They're pushing for this. This is good. You should express yourself. 
no wonder they're so confused. But I want to kick that to you guys again, somewhat rhetorically. Where has the church been during all this? I think you, you make a great point that we've just been saying, well, it's wrong. The other thing is, I think sometimes there's like an extremist push against this, you know, of maybe with AIDS or whatever, the scares, you're all going to die. We talk about this, um, you know, when we talk about the pornography addiction thing, where a lot of times you'll hear speakers say, you know, Ted Bundy was a porn addict, and that's what got him started down the road toward being a serial killer. It's like, okay, but there's millions of porn addicts that aren't serial killers, so what are we doing here? And it's kind of the same of like, you kind of create this boogeyman, and then kids go to school, and they see somebody, you know, they, they find a friend who is homosexual. They, um, you know, they, they run into it on TV, on their favorite TV show, you know, all these things that are being pushed on indoctrination, and all that. And, and they're exposed to it. And it's like, wow, that's, that's a pretty normal person. Why was I told to be so scared of them? Or even I was talking to a free, a preacher friend, um, one day and he was saying, well, my, my daughter goes to high school and one of her friends came out as gay. And, and so I was telling her maybe, you know, you shouldn't hang out with that kid. And, you know, I think there should be caution, but on the other hand, now you're making the kid choose between my friend and, 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 you know, you got to be careful of the influences, but on the other hand, like this whole, we got to run away thing and not knowing how to engage the world. And of course she's looking and going, well, that's my friend. And it's just because of the sexual and, and the world pushes that so much. Well, it's just love. It's just, they're just a little different than you. It's just the same. It's just, you know, all of these emotional appeals and our kids have been devoured by it. I mean, they go out there and they come back into church and go, you guys are intolerant. And so I, I don't want to be any part of this. And so some churches then go, well, I, I guess we got to change. I guess we got to be more tolerant. Uh, and then the ones that don't, the ones that say, well, we can't tolerate that. Well, then you lose your kids because you didn't equip them for these answers and, and, and these difficult questions that we are going to be asked of them. We don't know how to combat it is the yeah, point. Yeah, right? that's right. exactly it. And, and all of this is from hiding from teaching a prescriptive good version of what God wants us to be. Well, and you look at the stats for these things. Well, this will all blow over. No, it won't. This is getting worse. You look at the stats for um, LGBTQ among baby boomers, very, very low, 2% maybe, right? Maybe a little bit lower. You look at um, LGBTQ stats for Gen X, a little higher, but still pretty low. When you get into millennial, you're looking at about 9% um, that identify something, almost one in 10. No, that's that's pretty serious. Yeah, Gen Z is almost at 16%. I think it's 15.9%. This is statista.com. So getting um, close to one in five. We're getting close to one in five. We're, we're inching toward one in five. The next generation, if we don't start doing something about this and engaging the culture and understanding more than, hey, this is wrong, you shouldn't do it. Um, that's not helping anybody. And we've lost, Jack, to your point, we've lost kids all along the way. We're not just losing them now, though. We lost them back in the 60s. We lost plenty of people to the sexual revolution when, you know, and even if they came back to church, how many people made life altering decisions and did things that they're really not proud of, which they don't tell their kids these days. And that's part of the problem. They keep it as a secret, but life altering decisions, even back in the sixties, we've been losing kids all along the way. And the best we've got is, Hey, don't do it. Uh, Did that ever work for any kid in the history of the world? Well, case in point here. And, and this is not to, to bash anybody that is within a church. Mainly, this is we're kind of coming out against the leadership within churches that have not Correct. equipped people here. But you ask somebody, your average churchgoer, your high school class, why is transgenderism wrong? What is maybe the one scripture that they're going to come up with? Maybe the one place they're going to go, if, even if that Deuteronomy 22, verse 5, right? Uh, which don't have it memorized, basically says you should not wear a man should not wear a woman's clothes and vice versa. Other than that, again, not to be too stereotypical here or generalize too much, that's the best we've got in in a lot of cases because we haven't done the job to equip our young people, to equip our older people, to equip the average churchgoer. This is why transgenderism is wrong. And we also, we talk about, um, I was was actually looking that up on Deuteronomy 22.5 and what are people saying about it? This is pretty straightforward. Of course, you have the, well, that's Old Testament. This is 21st century. Of course, it's kind of a garbage argument. Others were talking about, don't we have bigger fish to fry? Are we really concerned about, you know, somebody coming in in, in women's clothes? Look, we, we care about the heart. God cares about the heart. Shouldn't we care about what is in that person's heart? You're saying that's other external? people's argument. This is other people's argument, right? This is These are the arguments coming out against Deuteronomy 22.5. If you blindly throw out that, and hope that your kid is just going to go, oh, absolutely. There's one verse in the Bible that says it's wrong. That's all we need, right? We know that. Does your kid know that? Is your kid grounded enough to understand why God said it? So God has very 
strong reasons behind everything that he does, behind everything that he says. And when we don't have the why answer to all of these, but specifically even to Deuteronomy 22.5, and they get on Reddit and they're reading, hey, this is, which is exactly what I did. What do people have to say against it? And they're reading these arguments and, oh, that's that's talking about armor. And the woman wasn't supposed to go out in the battle back then um, because, you know, for certain reasons. And, and somebody gets on and says, I'm Jewish and I can, um, you know, I can say that, yes, in the Hebrew, that's exactly what it means is armor. And so you get into all of these different discussions. Imagine your 16-year-old, you quote that to him and you say, see, this is this is why transgender is wrong. One verse and he gets on Reddit and he starts reading through these things and you never have the conversation with him as to why. That's the problem right there. These other people have the why. It's the wrong why. They have the wrong answers. We have the right answers, but it's almost like we're scared to give it. We're scared to, to, to talk about anything of sex. Let's just be honest. It's not just LGBTQ. Anything having to do with sex, we are squirmish. We're, we, we don't want to get into it with our kids because well, they might ask me questions. They might, you know, what if I over-sexualize, hyper-sexualize them? Sure. Right. It's, it's uncomfortable. What if I introduce them to things too early and then we send them off to public school where kids at five are learning about, you know, anatomical terms in the world. So the other thing about this is like not adapting to the world around us. Uh, I brought up pornography as the example because there's some parallels here where there was a time where pornography was only something that, you know, like that you had to pay for the shady channels. You had to go into the dark bookstore in the wrong side of town kind of thing. Um, you know, the, the brown paper bags or whatever. And I, I'm not kidding. It was, it was recent as like five years ago. I went to a preacher's meeting where a preacher still had that concept in his mind of we got to tell these perverts to, to stop doing this stuff. And it's like, dude, the stats say over half the men in your church struggle with this. And you're still thinking it's the one guy sneaking into a sleazy bookstore. And like, we didn't know what we got hit with because we have failed to adapt. We, we get so stuck on the world in the framing that we know it and then as it changes so rapidly and again i mean you we deal with this all the time at focus press we talk about education i wrote a book on it and you know people oh kids have always been the same kids have always been this way oh school it just you know that's just how it is and it's like wake up Right. This the, the internet, what kids can find, TikTok. I mean, TikTok is a hive of LGBT indoctrination, and and like you said, Reddit threads, YouTube for you know YouTube uh, uh, videos, and also the comment sections. And I mean, kids are finding answers everywhere. I mean, it's coming at us faster than we even realize. And people are going, "Oh, kids are kids. Oh, they'll outgrow it. Oh, you know, these are just the things that happen." I and, figured it out when I grew up in the '60s. Yeah, uh, come on. Yeah, well, and and I mean, just so many. We had our our Think Fast video on YouTube. Go check it out on Disney boycotts. And we had multiple comments of, "Why are we even talking about this? You know, this is a waste of time. Let's just go evangelize." Like. These are the answers we need to give. We need to show Christians how to think in a rapidly changing culture. And if you're stuck in the culture of the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, even the culture of 10 years ago. 10 years ago, we were debating whether gay marriage should be allowed. Now they're teaching kids all kinds of sexual practice in kindergarten. And then when Florida says, no, 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 you can't do that until the age of eight or what, nine, you know, we're going to make you hold off until they're nine years old. I mean, a, a gigantic nationwide hissy fit is thrown over it. Right. The world we live in is not the one that people are used to, and the failure to adapt is killing kids. I mean, literally, in the most literal sense, it's killing kids. And meanwhile, they've been doing this since the early 1900s and perfecting their craft. How are we going to get it to the world? That they Magnus Hirschfeld guy. They have an agenda. Right. Absolutely. Right. That Magnus Hirschfeld guy thought, you know what? This, this new budding technology of movies. Uh, would be really good. He came out with the first gay movie. He was a producer and he acted in the first gay movie back in, I think, 1920, maybe 1922. Goes way back. They recognized this is where the kids are. This is where the culture is. He was very big into pushing this among kids. He 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 spoke on lectureships about it. Um, they've been steadily working on their ideology, getting it into you know younger and younger and younger generations, into more and more people's hands as to, hey, this is what we're doing since the early 1900s. They've adapted and grown. What has the church done the entire time? Well, we stand on scripture. Yes, we do. And scripture speaks to more than just transgenderism is wrong based on Deuteronomy 22.5. There's so many reasons. We're going to get into those. But this failure to adapt is, Jack, you said it perfectly. It's killing us. Um, they've adapted from the beginning. They have continued to grow. You see in the 50s, the, the gender in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s. And Will, you mentioned all of that. And I, you look at where we are today. And when we are still stuck in the 70s in our ideology, 
we're, we're easily 20 years behind the culture and we're trying to catch up now. And so we, we get caught with our theological pants down. We don't know how to answer some of the really difficult questions such as, as we're going to try to answer on here, what do we do with pronouns? Right. How do we, how do we engage this? And people go, well, you know, we, that boy, that's tough, tough, tough thing to discuss. And then we move on as though that's an answer. We have to have these answers and we haven't all along. And now we're trying to catch up and it's going, we're having to catch up for decades. Well, and the frustrating thing, and I'm going to, I'm going to kick it to you guys here in just a second to kind of move us along uh, rather than just beat this dead horse. But the frustrating thing is you'll hear preachers, you'll, you'll, you'll hear speakers get up and bemoan the fact that we're losing young people, that churches are shrinking, that our numbers are going the wrong way. And we'll point to just the most ridiculous things as to, as to reasons for that. When, as you guys have so beautifully stated, the reason, one of the many reasons that young people are departing, looking elsewhere is because they're, they're finding their answers from somewhere other than the church. They're finding their answers, again, not the correct answers, not the right answers by any means, but they're going online, they're, they're, they're friends at school, they're going up to TikTok, social media. That's where they're finding their answers and because we can't give it to them. We're still teaching our Bible classes on you know, David and Goliath. And you know, again, not to belittle scripture by any means, but these are, our, again, I work with young people. Our middle schoolers, our high schoolers, trust me, they're getting this in school. We need to be giving them the answers rather than just giving them the, again, the same types of Bible lessons that they've been getting for five to 10 years. They need to know the answers to these things. So I, I want to to move us along here. Jack, you're a big proponent of kind of strong manning people's arguments, right? Let's do that here with the transgenderism angle. And for those that don't, strong man is, is basically the idea that we're going to make their arguments. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, that's right. Make it the, the strongest possible argument that you can and debate that. We don't want to debate the, the weak version of their argument. We want to debate the, the steel man, the strongest version of the, the transgender argument here. So, Jack, why don't you take us away on that? Right. As opposed to a straw man argument, which is what we usually do is make a, a flimsy case and beat it up. So what, what do they say? What is the argument that they would go with? Well, number one, they bring up the intersex people. Uh, if you're not familiar with that, it's it's just people born with both parts, both you know qualities, physical attributes, male and female. And so they will point to that and say, look, some people are literally born this way physically, and so that shows that gender is not just strictly male and female, You know that there, there's a spectrum to this. Uh, I, I think that's a very easy one to answer, but... I'll, I'll put it to you guys. I'll give my answer once once you guys uh, speak. But, um, you know, it, it is a reality we have to deal with, that there are people born with both parts, that, that intersex is um, a, a person that exists. There are people out there. It, it's uncommon. Um, it's, it's a very small, very small, I mean, like 0. .00 something percent of the population, but it does happen. The Fosto Sterling uh, study that, that they came out and said intersex might be as high as 1.7% has been widely disputed. And so if people have heard that, well, intersex could be up to close to 2% of the population born this way. That's not true at all. Uh, there are multiple parts to intersex. There are multiple, um, it's a chromosomal disorder and there are four or five different types of chromosomal disorders, including something like Turner syndrome. The other thing is use your brain intersex one out of 50 people. Really? How many people right. like, you know, not that yeah. everybody's going around so exposing, but, but your friends have kids, you know, you know, these things, they have to have operations or whatever else. Come on, one in 50. And so what there's a study done, actually, and there's a if, if anybody wants it, we can let you know. Um, it's a PubMed.gov article. How common is intersex um, a response to Ann Fosto Sterling? Point zero one eight percent, almost 100 times lower than that estimate. Wow. Uh, this is this is not common. Um, for for intersex, not near as common as they make, but this is one of their big arguments of, well, if people are born with both, does that not speak to there being transgenderism? The other aspect of that, even if those numbers were that high, they still have to choose one. This is typically, they take the one where they show, um, you know, if, if they're born with both genitalia, then they usually either let you know the parents decide and they say, we think that this is more of way, the way they're leaning. Sometimes um, there are certain research that says, let it be for a while, see which way they gravitate, whether it's more male, female. It doesn't mean you get to live in some third gender or whatever else. It's you end up having to pick one or the other. This male is an or female. correct, an abnormality, but this is not like their, and this is one of their big arguments is what do you do with intersex people? That's an extremely rare case. And even when that is, they still have to pick between two genders. Um, and, and I'm going to say between two sexes. Uh, it, it doesn't create something altogether different. Um, the second one, I guess, 
Hold on, on the intersex thing, I, I wanted to give my response to it as well. You've heard of the term, the exception that proves the rule? I feel like that is the best description of this, is it's an exception, yes, it's not male or female, it's not somebody born strictly with one part or the other, which proves that that is normal for there to be male right. or female. Uh, right. it, it doesn't prove that, oh, we've got just this third, this spectrum, all the things that they're saying. No, it proves that there's an abnormality that happens sometimes that proves that what is normal. If something is abnormal, that means that something is normal, and that's to be a male or a female. And so I feel like they think it's their strongest argument. I feel like it's an argument against what they're claiming. Next one, though, we want to get into what about eunuchs in the Bible? They point to this and they say, see, there are those that, that could eunuchs not be transsexual? Um, could they not? Maybe they don't fit into typical gender stereotypes, typical gender norms. Um, and, and Jesus speaks to eunuchs in the Bible. We have the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8. So we have these eunuchs. What do we do with those? Will, I'll let you speak to that. So... Again, yeah, Acts 8 is probably the most familiar place for, for people to turn when talking about a eunuch, the Ethiopian eunuch, uh, served under Queen Candace. And, and you see, according to history, that was typically the, the role of a lot of eunuchs was to serve under, you know, somebody who was uh, female uh, because there was no sexual temptation there. He was in charge of her treasury, uh, we read in Acts 8. And so, yes, to, to Joe's point, there are a lot of people that will point to that and say, there you go. There, that, that's an example of a, a transsexual or a transgender uh, in God's word. And that's simply, if you study history, simply not the case. What that is referring to is, is one of two things. Number one, either it was uh, uh, certainly a biological male, first of all, who was simply infertile, uh, or it was still a biological male who had been castrated, who had his uh, uh, genitals removed. Neither one of those refers to a transgender. But in both of those instances, it's still a biological male who, again, has either been castrated or is simply infertile. This one, again, pretty weak argument here. This would, this would not be an argument for uh, somebody who is supportive of transgenderism should throw out there because it's pretty easily debatable. If you go into history and, and study, the, the again, the eunuchs back in those time frames, Jack, do you have anything to add to that? That's just like the last one. It's a very unfortunate thing that they are grabbing for their own purposes. It's right, like, right. this is not, no, that is not that. And and it is it is really shameful that you would use that thing that was unfairly done to a lot of these men. Um, you know, but you even look in the old law, the regulations about into the tabernacle and temple worship, you know, there were certain things of certain people with deformities like that weren't allowed. And so it was something that, um, you know, th this was not a celebrated class like we're trying to make it today. We've also talked a lot about Galatians 3.28. I think we had uh, and one of the most misused verses in the Bible for different reasons um, to let women preach and such. And, and there's neither male nor female is the context of that um, or is, is the verse in the context being we're all one in Christ, right? So yes, those, the feminists use it to say, why can't women preach? Well, a lot of the LGBTQ rights activists uh, believe that, hey, there's neither male nor female. We're all kind of one for those that are pushing it in, in church. Um, we're all kind of one then. And what does it, what makes, what's the difference in gender if they don't really matter? They're all one in Christ. Right. And when we discussed this on our top five most misused Bible verses, it's such a, again, illogical application of what Paul is trying to say there in Galatians three, when he's talking about salvation, uh, he's saying, look, when you're, when you're baptized into Christ, when you become a part of God's family, when you become God's children, he doesn't necessarily, you know, there, there's no difference in value when it comes to salvation. God does not hold men in a higher position when it comes to salvation and value than he does women. You know, women are not second-class citizens when it comes to salvation, but people will try to use this verse as we discussed in that episode to jump to, well, that means men and women are equal in their roles. That means in, in a marriage, they're equal. That means in the church, women should be allowed to preach. Just study the context. Again, this one is not difficult at all. If you study the context, he's saying, hey, when you're baptized, you are Christ. Doesn't matter if you're male. Doesn't matter if you're female. Doesn't matter if you're slave, if you're free, if you're Jew, if you're Greek, you're Christ. You're a child of God. Again, this one is, is not that difficult to, to uh, dispute here. Let's jump to Matthew 22, verse 30. And I'll ask you guys, that's where uh, basically we Jesus uh, tells the Sadducees that there will be no marriage in the resurrection. And so the question has come up. Uh, again, typically by supporters of, of transgenderism, uh, 
will we be androgynous? Is Jesus basically saying we're not going to have a, a sex? We're not going to have a, again, trying to stay away from the word gender. We're not going to have a, a sex, you know, after the resurrection. How do you guys answer that? It's interesting because the question that they're bringing is the woman that was married to the brother and the brother and the brother and the seven of them. Right. You know, and he says there's not going to be married, but it's not that she's not going to be a woman and they're not going to be men. It's just that they're not going right. to be married. He, he doesn't say there's no gender. There's no sex in, in the uh, in the resurrection, that there's no distinction between male and female. That's not the point of it at all. He says there, there's marriage has outlived its purpose at that point. But, you know, you see in Revelation around the throne, the the. Um, the elders around the throne, the rich man and Lazarus parable. I mean, these are people that haven't lost their gender. Um, you know, God is still, I, you know, still relates and, and reveals himself to us as he. The Holy Spirit is a he. Jesus is he. This is very, you know, gendered terminology, you know, to use that, I guess. And th that's just the way it is. There's no sign of that changing. I think that would wrap up. I, I really don't have much to add to that one. I think exactly. There's not. That's um, rare. Are you sure, Joe? Yeah. yeah no <laughs> kidding. Wow. I, seriously. Well, you both said it well, and I'm I'm asking the questions, so I'll okay. Leave it I'll, to you I'll guys. do the Joe and make one more point. The other thing is, even if that were true in the resurrection, what does that have to do with right now? Yeah, that, that's so true. Yeah. So yeah, I, I just so don't true. think it fits. So let's get out of the biblical ones because this is kind of a. Um, Let's be honest. Most of them have nothing to do with the Bible, nothing to do with church. Right. They it's are kind trying of an to push it in. on that they're using the Bible. So exactly. Yeah. Let me try to prove this crazy idea through the Bible. Mm, yeah, no, doesn't typically work. But they'll say cross dressing is, is and, and such is arbitrary. Um, isn't a kilt a dress in America? Uh, you see the guys wearing togas or whatever over in India. Uh, they have a specific name for them. Um, that would be considered cross dressing, quote unquote, here. But that seems to be the Bible condemns it. So what's wrong? Doesn't it just vary by region? How would you guys answer that? I think the best way to answer that is to roll your eyes and say, oh, please, and move on. <laughs> I mean, come That's on. So like, we, we know these things. If you see a deeply Scottish guy, red beard, you know, uh, and Deep all of that with, with the whole, yeah. get, you know, carrying bagpipe, bagpipes and wearing a kilt, you go, go he's married. He's dressed like a woman. Like you, yeah, you most don't. of these guys are abs they're absolutely jacked. When I don't you, think you're having to worry about well, whether that, they look like a woman or not. And you see the um, the Hare Krishna monks, you know, wearing their long robe things in the airport. They don't do that as much as they used to. In fact, they changed the dress to look a little cooler, a little more hip. But you know, they used to look like that. Nobody went and looked. Wow, that's a bunch of women, or they're trying to be women. We know cultural dress, right? Every culture right. has their own. The culture defines what is a male and female. You know, Jesus and and back then, tunics and robes and the things they wore, they weren't dressing like women. You know, your culture defines what is a male look, what is a female look. It's not that hard. And so, again, the best right. we can do for that is just roll your eyes and say, come on. And again, you, I, go ahead, Joe. No, I was just going to say, if you are using those cultural norms and choosing to dress like a woman, if a guy that usually wears, let's say, one of the, the togas or something like that or, or tunic, if he goes and wears the traditional woman dress in his culture everybody's going to know. Whereas if I go and wear the traditional dress in our culture, which is for a woman, everybody's going to know that it, it does maybe differ off of culture, which a lot of people don't want to say, well, the, the Bible doesn't really get into culture. And this is what they try to trap us with, right? Well, it's cultural norms within each. We understand what it is. Israel understood. If I dress like a woman, right. what that looked like as did Rome, as did everybody else. So that to me, it's just a very weak argument. Let's go to uh, the stereotype argument. Um, basically you've got, you know, typically boys are going to want to play with uh, uh, boys toys, you know, things like matchbox cars and dinosaur figurines and superheroes and all that and all those things. Whereas girls typically are going to want to play with dolls and, and, and doll houses and, and things like that. So supporters of transgenderism will say, what about the, uh, the, the young boy that is born with a predisposition to want to play with dolls or to want to to dress up as, as the princess or the girl again, vice versa that, that wants to play with the swords and the, the, the battle armor and the things that we typically associate uh, toys for uh, young men with. What about those kids? Aren't, aren't they going to be more predisposition to uh, you know, maybe cross-dressing, maybe being uh, transsexual. How do you guys answer that one? I love how this one, the, the train wreck starts to happen of these ideologies. Yeah. You know, feminism is a girl can be whatever she wants to be. If she wants to be a superhero, if she wants to be an athlete, if she wants to be all these things. But then she's not transgender because she's choosing 
you know, traditionally male things, but if a boy, you know, uh, like, uh, are, are there gendered things or not? Because part of this ideology is there's no such thing as gendered anything. Baby dolls are not gendered. Um, you know, construction equipment and trains and stuff like that aren't gendered. And, and there's, there's no distinction between the two. But as soon as a little boy picks up a baby doll, Oh, he must be, he must be a woman. He must want to be a girl. And as soon as a little girl, you know, touches a shovel or something like that, oh, she's a boy. Come on. Like, which one is it? Pick one. Pick one or the other. Because kids are always going to do these things. But, you know, the other thing is my daughter, regularly, three years old, will just start crawling on her hands and knees and meowing. I don't go, oh, wow, she's a cat. We should just go get a surgery to get a a tail attached to her. (laughs) We should start referring to her as, you know, Mrs. Tibbles. I mean, like, they don't, they, this is pretend and, and this is part of their life is figuring these things out, but she's still right. a girl. She still, at the end of the day, comes back to the girl thing. You know, she's a, she is a girl and, and that's inescapable. And it is insanity to me that we're letting three year olds, four year olds, five year olds choose these things, telling them they should. And this isn't always the case, but. When you study homosexuality, again, I work in this field. I've worked with homosexuals and and worked with um, all sorts of different sexual issues and such. Um, A large part of this is when, specifically for boys, is when the dad is aloof. Why is that? Why does that make a difference? When the dad is aloof with an overbearing mom, that's that's one of the hallmarks of. And and people may get on here and say, "Well, that's absolutely ridiculous." I'm not saying it's a rule, hard and fast rule, but that is something. Yes, there are some studies that back it up for sure. Um, Why is that? Because the kid doesn't have a role model to say, hey, this is what boys do. This is what boys play with. So boys will will play with different things. That's okay. I don't. If my son picks up a baby doll, I'm not going to freak out. Um, if if he starts wearing a dress and wants to be a girl, that's when I say, whoa, 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 something, something is not quite right. I had a friend growing up, Jack, you and I had a friend. Sister was very big into ballet, great ballerina. She got all of the attention from the family. Um, everything went into her. They traveled for her. They, they, everything was hers. Well, the younger brother had nothing. So what do you think he gets into? Starts wearing tutus. And then that gets the laughs, right? And then that gets more accepted. Well, he turned out gay. Um, starts from, man, I think if, if I was just looking at it as a therapist, does he not just want the attention of his family? Oh, well, he just, he loves wearing girls clothes. Does he really, or does he realize that's where, that's what gets his sister attention, Right. putting on the tutus. So these are the type of things we gotta be looking for specifically as parents and such. But the stereotype, Jack, you're right. This is the train wreck approach. This is where things start to come together. And why, when Matt Walsh gets on, on Dr. Phil and says, well, what's a woman? You know, how do you define what's a woman? They freeze up when you ask, um, you know, Supreme Court justice, nominee and now a Supreme Court justice, uh, what is a woman? They have to refer to the biologist because if they get into the stereotypes, man, it all unravels. So let's get to maybe the, the, I think this is the primary one because I I don't know if you guys are familiar with Jonathan Haidt's elephant. Um, The concept of there's a right, you, you know, your brain, your your processing system is like a man riding an elephant. And a man, you know, he's got the ropes. He, he thinks he's directing that elephant where it goes. It's an elephant. It's going to go where it wants. And a lot of times the elephant will go where it wants and the guy will go, oh, okay, well, I, I guess that's where I wanted to go. He says, your head is the man. Your heart is uh, the elephant. The heart goes where it wants to go. And then your head rearranges reality, rearranges the facts, rearranges the information to say, that's what I believed all along. And so the heart leads the head is the short way of putting that, right? And I think more than anything, with all of these things we've talked about, with the acceptance of homosexuality, gay marriage, all all the way down the line to where we got to today, has been the heart leading the head. Because you look at the emotionalistic arguments, the love is love, the anti-bullying campaigns of the 90s. I've got a a big section on that in my book, Failure, that... uh, is is one of the most important parts of the entire book is how they used bullying as a Trojan horse, you know, because you don't want kids to be bullied. And oh, by the way, when we talk about bullying, if a kid's gay, nobody can say anything about it. Nobody can tell your kid to get out of the bathroom because they're safe in the wrong schools. Room. Yeah. And, and so, you know, it was a very emotional thing. And as I said before, when your kids go to school and their friend comes out and says, I'm gay, I'm lesbian, I'm I'm a boy now, I'm a girl now. And then they're told it's the most unloving thing you could do to not call them their new name, not call them their, their pronouns, not you're really going to hurt their feelings. And so the the bullying thing, the, the emotional thing, the acceptance thing, all of these things are are 
the biggest argument that gets these things pushed, gets these things accepted, is playing on the the sentiments of nice people, of right, telling like, people, you know, you're a Christian, don't you love people, don't you accept people, don't you, you don't want to tear somebody down, and that's where we end up here. Well, and it, to a lot of people, it seems like an impenetrable shield because we don't want to be labeled as bullies. We don't want to come out in support or in favor of, of bullying or somebody being unkind or, or anything like that. And so the question comes up, well, you know, wouldn't it be kinder? Wouldn't it be nicer to let them transition, you know, let just allow it to happen. And, you know, I think you're right, Jack, this is kind of the foundational, I guess you might say argument that they run towards, because again, it, it appeals to a lot of people. We don't want to come out in favor of bullying. We don't want to, you know, be unkind to people. And, you know, Joe, before I kick it to you, as far as this one goes, you know, we've gotten into the dangers of the being the nice guy, the nice guy stereotype when it comes to masculinity and how we we should not live to just make sure that we don't offend anybody and, and keep track of how many people like us or, you know, anything like that. The bottom line truth of it is, especially, you know, if you are a Christian and profess to be a follower of Christ, you cannot compromise truth to try to get people to like you. You cannot compromise truth to try to, you know, get people to look at you and say, oh, well, he, that, that guy's really nice. He's just really kind. If we're at the, the state of compromising truth and, and agreeing with certain people's pronouns because it's the not quote unquote nice thing to do or the kind thing to do, or let's just allow them, go ahead and allow them to transition because they've, they've experienced a lot of bullying and it'd be the kind thing to do. Whatever happened to, again, stand, speaking the truth, standing on the, the, the truth of Scripture, and that's what a lot of Christians are starting to do, maybe even involuntarily, is starting to accept these things just on the surface of, well, it's the nice, it's the kind thing to do. We you talked about the nice guy thing. What we talked about on the masculinity side, the nice guy is the one who does what everybody wants, but the truly masculine guy is the one who does, he gets everybody what they need, right? That's, that's really where we're going is you have to tell people, hey, this isn't, this isn't good. This is not what you need. These people are hurting. We want to just acknowledge that on the podcast. These people are hurting, no doubt. Um, I don't, I don't want to say, you know, we can kind of paint them in a, in a bad light and I'm not attempting to do that. These people are struggling with, uh, I mean, gender dysphoria is part of the DSM for a reason. Um, it is, this is something that is difficult to discuss because of the emotional pain attached to it. But you know what? There's a lot of emotional issues and something that I work in again with trauma going right along with what they want. There are people that struggle with body dysmorphia and things like that. And, and I think there's a specific, I don't think it's body dysmorphia, but where they, they feel that a certain limb of their body needs to be cut off. They cannot stand it. Um, what do you do? Do you let them cut the limb off? Because wouldn't that be kinder to let them do what they want? They really seem to hate this part of the limb. You've got to work through the emotional issues that are causing them to hate a certain part of their body. And so often it's attached in trauma. That comes down to the, would, the crux of this whole thing is when somebody says, I was born in the wrong body. I, I've got a male body, but I'm a female. I've got a female body, but I'm a male. Something is wrong. It's either the body is wrong or the brain is wrong. And we've assumed that it was the body that's wrong. Why can't we say that the brain is wrong? Because like you say, if somebody thinks my arm needs to be chopped off, the brain is wrong. The body's not wrong. It needs that arm. The brain is wrong. We know that in this case. With the gender thing, because it has been sucked into this LGBTQ, love is love, bullying, all these things, the brain is what's wrong. And telling somebody, no, you're not that... Because the other thing about this that I think we're going to get to, or I guess I'll bring it in right now, the suicide rate of transgender uh, people is like, right. I think it's a 40% attempted rate. And I'm sure that's been dropping that's as the number huge. of transgender people goes up. That is astronomical. I mean, just astronomical. These are people who are truly struggling. And the other thing that's been proven is getting the surgery doesn't change that. You know, like getting acceptance, getting celebrated, you know, like becoming their true selves doesn't change anything. You know, what they would call their true selves. The suicide rate remains the same. The depression rate remains the same. I mean, it is an awful way of life. And, and so you say, well, I'm loving this person. No, no, you're loving yourself to avoid the controversy of saying you're wrong. And the most loving thing you could tell that person is run from this as fast as you can. I know it's hard, but you're not that. And the best thing that you can do is figure out how to be what you actually are. 
But if we zoom back, the church really, we've stuck at this for a long time, calling people out for what they need. It's not just in transgenderism. This is the newest thing, but there have been things that for for decades, we don't have that one-on-one relationship with people. We don't know how to love somebody appropriately to tell them what they need. We always go along with what they want. Um, And we hide it under the guise of speaking the truth in love, right? We We have to speak the truth in love, which basically people used to say, be nice and don't speak the truth. Yeah, that's exactly right. So- we're weak in that area. We don't know how to speak the truth in love. And part of speaking the truth is again, telling them, look, you, what, what's good about being a man? How do we help them understand what's good about that? What, how do we help them understand what's good about being a woman? How do we help them through the emotional issues that are pushing them there? We don't, we handle this differently than we handle, than, than we do with any other thing in the world. It's different because this one gets treated with kind of a, we assume that the mentally ill person, the person who's clearly struggling with emotional issues must be right. Name one other area of life where we do that, where the depressed person who wants to kill themselves, we go, okay, go for it. You know, I guess I can't really stop you. No, the loving thing is, hey man, this is, I I know you're hurting. I know you're in a really bad place, but let's get this figured out. Why would we not treat this that way? Uh, When again, Jack, you pointed the suicide rate, the self-harm rate is just as high uh, because self-harm usually almost always precedes uh, suicide. They they hate themselves. They hate their body. They hate the shame. They hate all sorts of things. They may hate everybody else. And they come. It's easy to point to the bullying and say the reason that those rates are so high is because they get bullied disproportionately. The, but the sad reality is these people are already, and a lot of these kids and, and other people are already struggling mentally and emotionally before they ever transition. And the other thing is this this place does not, or this this movement does not want to talk about the detransitioners. And there are a lot of people who move back and say, that was the worst decision of my life. Right. And I was pretty much goaded into it when I was 16, 17 years old, and it really messed up my life. But this was the going thing of the day. This is what I was told to do. And now I'm dealing with the repercussions for life. Well, and you've got doctors making money on the transition drugs, the transition surgeries. Like, I mean, this is a, a horrible system. I mean, it is deeply evil and and i mean this is the really that and and abortion are the two biggest evils i think that the church faces in the culture today and man to to play along with it to go well let's let's soften the blow let's you know really we don't want to be looked at as mean here no no history number one we've got to please god number two history is going to look on us as the people who are trying to save lives because i mean the the documentation on this is very clear this is very bad for people and to play into it to say we don't want to hurt feelings we don't want to get into any of that now we're killing people again literally but then also spiritually eternally i want to go ahead and and that does so well stated Uh, i want to go ahead and get to what does the church need to do as far as explaining these things? You know, we, we've t- talked about the fact that the church's stance cannot simply solely be, well, that's wrong. We can't do that. You know, of course, that's true. And we need to make sure and come out and say that, but it can't stop there. And so for our young people that might have these questions and say, you know, why is this wrong? You can say that it's wrong all day long, but why? I'm going to start and give, give an answer and then I'm going to kick it to the guys you have to go back to Genesis 1 and 2. We, we've joked on the podcast. Joe has pulled some great things out of Genesis uh, 1 through 3. He's been preaching on it for, or at least he was preaching on it for several months. There are so many things you discover in Genesis 2 and 3 is because that was literally the way that God originally designed everything. We point to Genesis 2.24 as God designing marriage. And how did he design marriage? One man, one woman for life. And any perversion of that, any any you know difference, change in that, two men, uh, two women, one man, one woman that you then get divorced and go marry another man or another woman is wrong because it's a perversion of what God designed. It's the exact same thing with, with sexuality. It's the exact same thing with the two sexes. God did not create multiple genders. God didn't create you know 43 million genders as, as what's his name? Hirschfield, I believe, uh, pointed out. God created two. God created male and female. He created man first, and then from man, he created woman. Two genders, that's it. And for anybody to, or anybody to come along and say, well, maybe there's more, or let's, let's, let's investigate some other ones. It's a perversion. It, it, it's a distortion of God's original design. And man, we have to be so careful anytime we get into changing God's design for something. Again, with marriage, you know, we tend to, we tend to all agree that homosexuality and, and certain aspects of divorce are wrong. Why? Because it's perverting what God designed. 
we have to start teaching our young people. It's the exact same thing with gender. When you start to pervert the way God designed masculinity, as we've discussed, femininity, as we've discussed, their roles in marriage, when you start to pervert those things, here with gender, when you start to try to transition over and try to add genders and try to say, well, I know God designed it this way, but let's let's talk about maybe how it could be this way. Man, that's dangerous territory because you're challenging what God originally designed. Human psychology would show us running towards something is a lot more powerful than running away. Running away keeps you alive. Uh, we have a, a strong survival instinct, but we, by and large, would rather run towards something, correct? Well, the other side gets this. And so they give us an ideology to run toward, which is why they make sex look fun. They make all of this look so appealing. They get the people on TikTok. Oh, they're so sweet. Uh, when we come out, and as we've already spoken to and say, hey, this is wrong, we're missing the point that God created gender to be a beautiful thing. After he made man and woman, he said, this is good. This is very good. We were the pinnacle of God's creation as we were. Male and female, he created them. Look at 126. He says it over and over. Male and female, he created them. Um, he created them male and female. Like Something Jesus reiterates for those that say, oh, correct. Jesus never talked about this. He said word for word, male and female, he created them. Right. This was a sticking point to creation. This was the crowning moment of creation. I don't think people realize that. Yes. Uh, think about the sun. Think about the stars, the moon. You know, think about all the bazillion things God created that are good and that are amazing. We're the pinnacle. And gender was a big part. Sexuality, sex, not gender, sex was a major part to that, the, the crowning moment of creation. Uh, talk to your kids about how amazing that is, how amazing it is to be a man or to be a woman that you are blessed with with something that is intrinsically placed inside you, this, this intrinsic value that God places on your sexuality. He designed you that way for a reason. And that is a, it's an unbelievably cool thing to be a guy. And I would assume it's an unbelievably cool thing to be a woman. Do they know that? Is it, or is it just kind of, yeah, you're a guy, you know, you're a born guy. Um, and then somebody comes along and goes, yeah, but you know what? You're going to become more famous. You're going to become basically, uh, you know, super popular in school, whatever it is. If you already, oh, you already like some of those, those girl things. You listen to, uh, you know, such and such music. Oh, well, maybe you, have you ever thought about transitioning? Have you ever thought about doing this? The way that they get this is they get a small thing and then they turn it into a big thing. And because we don't have, we're not running towards something, they create what we run toward. We're just running away from all the bad stuff. And then they finally put it in front of a kid, that carrot in front of the kid and go, hey, look at this. And the kid goes, whoa, that's incredible. So we're losing kids by the droves. Again, 16% of, of, of Gen Z um, because we don't understand the goodness that God placed in the pinnacle of his creation. And this this isn't just a cold number. This is not people that are far off. Joe, you've dealt right. with, I think you had two in one youth group, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, and this is something you know, people in my church have talked about, you know, friends, kids, things like that. These are things that are real world people are dealing with in the churches. This is not some far off thing that is, you know, in the bad places or whatever. It's in schools. I mean, I'm in Texas, conservative red state, Texas. Uh, all the schools just racked with this stuff. Teachers teaching four year old kids or I mean, fourth grade kids choose your pronouns and uh, all this stuff. I mean, like it is, it is all around us. And so protect your kids. I think something you got at there, Joe, is, is really important is teach your kids to care, number one, what God thinks, what family thinks, what the church thinks, because the, the natural desire is to care what your peers think. Care, you know, like get clout in those areas. Doesn't matter at all. They need to know being faithful to God. That's the only clout that you really need. But you have to protect them from that, because if not, they're, they're going to get drawn to that. It's a natural appeal to want to be loved and adored and, and liked and, and thought cool by your peers. And so that's the way to do it in this day and age. You know, it used to be smoking. It used to be drinking. It used to be, you know, other trouble that you could get into. As I said at the start, the world has changed so much that, that this is, it is just insanity. And we say these things, people say, well, you can't hide your kids from stuff forever. You know, they're, they're going to hear about these things. You can't shelter them forever. True. On the other hand, my five-year-old does not need to know those things. Number two, right. this is something that we develop them into. We have these conversations. We control the narrative of it because if we don't, the world will. They're going to disciple them into these things. And so one of my big right, things of what the church can do is, I'm sorry, I, I've said it. I wrote failure eight years ago at this point, I, and I've only gotten stronger and stronger in the conviction. What on earth are we doing still saying the public schools are a good thing? You know, people are always going to say, well, there's some people that have to, some people that work, some people that can't. Okay, maybe so. 
Number one, fight the indoctrination every chance you get. But I am so sick of our kids need to be lights. No, this is insanity. I mean, just talk to people. I, I was talking or to the, people. the not my school argument. Yeah, right? not my school. I was talking to two people in my church, both of them that work in, in different schools. Middle schoolers, 12-year-olds coming in in skirts and, and little boys in skirts and tights and all that. And and these things that your kids are going to have to deal with in Texas. You know, and the OR schools are different. I'm 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 on a rant here, but it's so important. There is no defending these institutions anymore. It is insanity. It is over the... I mean, it's just done. And so, if you can get your kids out, do it. If you can't, realize you have to be vigilant every single day to keep your kid from getting indoctrinated in this. Because, number one, they might come home and say, I'm a girl now or I'm a boy now. Number two, if they don't do that, they're going to go, my friend is a boy now, and I love my friend, so I'm going to support that, and I don't care what the church says. And so, Or I'm going to start losing my friends because I don't use their pronouns. Right, right. I'm the biggest scapegoat in the whole school. I'm the biggest jerk in the whole school because I'm having to take a stand. Righteous Lot was tormented by Sodom. That's your 14-year-old now. I've I'm, and let me. This is just insanity to me that this me is join, even a discussion at this point. Let me join the rant there because, you know, for those that say, "Well, it just doesn't really work. We're on a, you know, it's it's really tough um, on on the pocketbook, and and we just don't have the money for it." Look, if you got to move to Podunk, Indiana, to make it work, how much is your kid's soul worth? That's what I was. If you were say, if yeah. you were to send him into a into a war zone, and every day he could get shot. Mike gets shot. Uh, well, he hasn't yet. He's got body armor. It's it's okay. Um, you know, we when he comes home, I make sure that his armor's clean and it's looking good. We've got a wound cleaning he, kit at home. That's exactly right. I got a first aid kit just in case. Um, and we try to take care of him after all the, the scratches that he gets. If he was in physical danger, but we can't pull him out. I'm sorry. We you know we just it, the money's really really tight. Don't know that we're going to make it work. Move. How much is your kid's soul worth? Like I'm sick of the excuses being made. I look, we live on a single family income. My wife is going to homeschool our kids. She's a stay at home mom. Yes, it's tough. Yes, there's things we don't get to do. Okay. We have to put that aside. Um, we moved to Tennessee because I couldn't make it work in Denver. Okay. I love Denver. I'm a, a proud Colorado native. I could not make it work there. So people, please, please, please get your kids out of public school. And you go, well, the teachers, they don't push it there. No, I know my teachers. I talk with them. Do you know every kid that's in your kid's classroom? Do you know the stuff that they're getting? Do you know the porn that they're being showed? Do you know? Yeah, you you, you know don't the let your kid download TikTok, but their friend does, and they show it to them. I mean, like that's this, exactly right. It's unavoidable. Do you walk down the halls and see see girls kissing each other? And and you know, are you having to put up with that every day? Well, I really don't want my kid to be an alcoholic, but he grows up in a bar most of the time and is surrounded by people who are constantly pushing drinks on him. Come on, come right. on. Your your kids your kid's soul is at stake. Is the point here? And, I'm very the much biggest so. ad, I'm the biggest advocate for homeschooling. There is, you know, maybe with the exception of these other two, we believe it wholeheartedly because again, what's, what's the positive? What, what's the, what's the benefit to, well, they get to play sports or, well, they're going to be more socialized. Some of the most ridiculous arguments you could possibly make uh, when it comes to, again, what, what is the value of your kid's soul? You know, is, is go ahead. And here's what it comes down to is you say, well, I know plenty of homeschoolers that, you know, didn't remain faithful. I know homeschoolers that went in, personally. I know homeschoolers that became LGBTQ, um, you know, a few of them for sure. So it's not the the end all be all as soon as you homeschool your kids. Here's the difference. How much do you care about your kid's soul? How much do you care about your kid understanding the positives of his sex or her sex? How much do you care about what God has to say? And are you and showing this to your kid every single day? Because if you do that, train him up in the way he should go. When he's old, he won't depart from it. Well, and they need to hear and learn these things about sex from you as their parents, not right. from their peers, not from some teacher at their school, not from anybody involved in the public education system. These are things that kids are naturally going to be curious about. And right now, again, in the public school system, for the most part, they are getting every single one of those pieces of information, those pieces of instruction, indoctrination more so than instruction from people who don't care about their soul. They need to be hearing those things from you. Have the talk with your kids. Make sure that you are educating them about these things. You know how many young people I talk to? They're like, yeah, I've learned about sex from my friends at school. You know, my parents didn't have the talk with me. Shame on us. That's terrible. Right? And the no matter that, that when we... you start, the school is going to beat you to it. Yeah. I, I went kindergarten and first grade. Kids were having these conversations in the 90s, okay? This is not, I mean, this is just, I I know I've, I've ranted enough here. 
really look at what's going on. Really figure out where kids are. Really look at the conversations that are happening. It is not what it's like even when you went to school. It's not. And and so school is the one. Number two is the entertainment. I mean, Blues, Clues, and Sesame Street are doing pride stuff. Uh, I mean, this starts at three years old, two years old. This this programming for kids before they get to school. They're already starting them in on stuff. Um, we, we've, we had our Disney boycott, Think Fast. Uh, check that out on YouTube. Um, I, I mean, there's just all kinds of, of areas in which you have to guard against these things because, again, the peer pressure, the coolness of it. I mean, you think this many kids actually are transgender, actually are gay and lesbian? No, it's peer pressure. It's cool. It's social currency to come out, to get that attention for a day, to do all of these things. And, and then you do that, and then a doctor goes, hey, let's get you on these hormone blockers. Hey, let's get you in for surgery. Let's you, you know, start pressuring you that way. Let's get you these different clothes, you know, that your peers are going to be pressuring you into. And you're making choices now at a vulnerable point in your life when you are not mentally developed enough. I mean, your brain, literally, the science on it is not, you know, it's very still much being molded in so many ways as a teenager. And you're going to make decisions that cost you for life and maybe lead you down the road to a 40% suicide rate. We've got to do something. Uh, this is, this Christian parents really wake up on, on what's happening here. And let me also speak to the identity portion. From, from the transgender people that I've worked with, that I've known, that have transitioned, um, that again, like in the youth group and such that I've worked with, I come back to, I don't think I've been proven wrong yet. This is an identity-based thing. Uh, who am I? They're trying to understand, why do you think it's 14, 15, 16, 17-year-olds that are doing this? Because that's a pivotal time in their life where they're going, who am I? What is life about? What's what's my identity? Where do I fit into this world? And they're grasping straws. If they don't have a strong identity coming from Christian parents at home, an identity that's based and surrounded in Christ, then what do you do, right? They're going to look for it in every which way they can. And they're finding a lot of acceptance in the gay, the LGBTQ community. If they're not finding it, if they're not standing out in other ways. So we have to ground them in a strong identity that's rooted in Christ, understanding who they are, why they val- why they're valuable to God. Um, and, and start that training, Jack, as you mentioned, at an incredibly early age, there's really, if, if you think that it's too early to discuss theological principles with your four-year-old, but you're letting them watch Blue's Clues, where they get to understand these things, look, they're taking that in just as much. I'm becoming more and more of an advocate of just turning off the TV altogether. Uh, I know that's really difficult for some parents, but truly, I think that's something more Christians probably need to take a look at is how we can start engaging um, the culture a little bit more uh, for our side. And I think that's one of the big ways to get out of it. I want to move on, though. Um, Hold on. I was going to say we're running up against our time limit. We have uh, we've been a lot on the kids side of it. We've got discussions we need to have about, you know, pronoun usage, adults. I mean, this is coming into the workplace and things like that. Um, Why don't we push that to a Think Fast episode? We'll get that out to YouTube. Um, I think we're going to start putting Think Fast audio in people's podcast feed. Um, And so that, because I don't want to cut that short. That's a discussion that needs to breathe, needs the the proper time. Are you guys good with, with separating that out from this episode? Yeah, I think yeah, so, yeah, for sure. All right, so um, this will be in your feed if you're listening on a podcast app or whatever. Um, if you want to go check it out, it'll also be on YouTube. We'll have the video feature of the, the roundtable discussion. Um, that's a real big one as well is, you know, I've, I've had church people ask me, what do I do in the workplace where they're making us use these pronouns, use these false names, use, you know, I- identities? And so uh, we were woefully unprepared for the world that has hit us, and it's time that we, we catch up in a hurry. Exactly right. Exactly right. Um, guys, really, really good discussion. Again, um, there are so many questions surrounding this topic. Uh, hopefully we have answered some of them for you. If you have additional questions that maybe you'd like us to answer, for instance, in that Think Fast episode, as always, make sure to let us know. Make sure and comment. Make sure and, and hit Jack's email up, jack at focuspress.org. We want to answer these questions. We want the, as Jack just said, we've been woefully unprepared. We want to be prepared. We want to equip young people. We want to equip older people. We want to equip people of all ages to answer these questions because, again, there are souls at stake, not just the souls of the young people that we've just got done uh, talking about, but there are souls out in the world that we need to know how to evangelize to, right? To carry out the Great Commission, we need to know what these people are struggling with. We need to know what their arguments are. We need to know how to deconstruct their arguments we need to have answers and so again that's what we've tried to provide with this uh, particular episode and um again just if you didn't catch some of the other episodes regarding gender masculinity femininity and marriage encourage you to go back and take a listen we're going to move on to something else uh next week um something uh different from the realm of gender but uh guys 
unless you have anything else to add to what has been now a four-week discussion, a four-week roundtable on gender, uh, we will wrap right there, and we will talk to you guys next week. Thank <laughs> you.